Well, we want to welcome you here with us today. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor at Genesis, and it's a bittersweet day if you're a football fan, because you know the big games tonight, and you look forward to watching the game, and maybe you're rooting for Peyton, maybe you're rooting for the Seahawks, whatever that may be, but it's a bittersweet game because you know it also means that by the end of the evening, football is over, all right? Football has come to an end for another season, and uh, if you're a college basketball fan, well, you know it's the heart of the season, and uh, before you know it, it's going to be tourney time, and uh, before you know it, you'll be filling out your brackets, uh, getting ready for the uh, big dance and all, and I don't know if you heard or not, but what's a perfect March Madness bracket worth this year? Did you hear this? In Warren Buffett's mind, it's worth $1 billion. Yes, uh, you heard right, and uh, the offer is very simple. It hit the press a couple weeks ago that if you fill out a flawless, meaning if you pick every game of the NCAA tournament perfectly, correctly, all right, uh, the NCAA March Madness the enchiladas, all right? You win every single one of them. Uh, Warren Buffett has promised to pay you $1 billion for the perfect bracket. Now, before you get too excited, what are your chances or my chances of filling out the perfect bracket and receiving all the riches? Well, according to some really smart people, uh, the chances of filling out the perfect bracket are one in 9.2 quintillion. And uh, a quintillion means that there are 18 zeros uh, behind that nine. I think someone said that you've got a better chance of winning the lottery three times in a row than you do in filling out the perfect bracket. And so uh, I just want to wish you best of luck in that. I expect everyone to participate. And if you win, remember the first 10% goes to Genesis Church, all right? Don't, uh, don't forget that. But hey, we're in uh, week two of our series called The Secret to Being Rich. And uh, how many of you, when you think rich, think Warren Buffett, all right? I mean, he's, he's, he's rich, right? He's kind of crazy, stupid sort of rich. I mean, it's like a whole different class, kind of an unattainable, unrealistic sort of rich. And uh, while it's safe to say that most likely uh, that sort of richness is probably unattainable uh, for each of us, I think there is a level of rich uh, that we dream of, uh, that we hope to attain maybe one day in our life. I mean, if I asked you this, if I asked you to define rich, I think most of us would say that rich is somewhere beyond where I am right now. All right, I mean, it, it, it's maybe a couple of steps, maybe a couple of really big steps away on the economic ladder, and it could mean a bigger house, it could mean a nicer car, it could mean a more prestigious neighborhood for you. There's a really good chance that one time or another, uh, all of us in some way, shape, or form have dreamt, dreamed about, or wondered what it would be like to say that you're rich. But what if I told you this? What if I told you that you're already rich? That you and I, that we're already rich. That no matter where you live or what you drive or how much money you make, you're rich. Because you see, we live in the richest nation in the history of the world. Uh, we're rich, uh, whether we like to believe it or not, uh, based on what we have. Or, but do you know what? Um, we know we're rich also by those things that frustrate us. I mean, even in some of those things that, some of those inconveniences in everyday life, even these are an example of how rich we are. Things like this, if you ever struggle with bad cell phone coverage or really slow internet speed, I'm sorry, but that's a rich person problem, all right? Those are rich people sort of problems. If you're having a tough time trying to figure out where to spend spring break this year, 
Again, that's, that's a rich sort of an issue in comparison to the rest of the world. If you ever deal with flight delays, all right, again, a rich issue. If you've ever dealt with a busted water pipe, see our cafe out here on the other side of this room. If you have a, uh, a roof over your head, but uh, you've ever received a notice from the public works department that because of a water main break, you've got to boil your water for a specific period of time. Again, these are rich people sort of issues in comparison to the rest of the world. See, you might not feel rich, And I might not feel rich, but in comparison to the rest of the people in the world, if you've got a roof over your head, if you have food to eat and a car and computer, you are already richer than 98% of people, of the people on this planet. Now, if you weren't here last week, don't worry. This isn't a, you should feel guilty, I should feel guilty, uh, you have too much sort of a message, and it's certainly not a political message either. Right? But the reason we're talking about how rich we are, even though we don't always feel like it, is because of the Apostle Paul and his letter, his words, to an apprentice of his, a young man by the name of Timothy. It comes right out of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, in verse 17, when Paul says, uh, command those who are rich in the present world. And if you skip over to the next verse, he says, I command you to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. See, the Apostle Paul had Christians uh, from the church in Ephesus in mind when he wrote these words. Ephesus was a port city uh, located on the Mediterranean, a city that was known for its trade and wealth. And because the city was full of prosperous, wealthy citizens, it's likely that the church was full of wealthy people too, or at least wealthy people in comparison to others in this particular region of the world. And so Paul says, Paul writes to Timothy and says, command those who are rich in the present world. And he's talking about Christians in Ephesus, people who had more than most. And on a global scale, this is most definitely for us too. And last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about the Apostle Paul's command to Christians, to you and me. Uh, to be rich in generosity and the difference that you can make for his kingdom uh, through a place like Genesis Church. Uh, Today, we're talking about what it means to be rich in our sharing. And look at the text again. Paul says, and it's in verse 18, he says, the secret to being rich. He says, I command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Now, right away, we notice uh, how we're commanded to do good and to be rich in good deeds and generosity. Now, I read that and I think, well, that, that sounds like sharing, right? I mean, isn't that the same thing? I mean, aren't, aren't good deeds about sharing? Isn't generosity about sharing? I mean, so what, what does Paul have in mind when he specifically uses a word like sharing? Look at it like this. If, if you have kids, uh, if you've ever had a two-year-old uh, in your house, uh, you've done the work in some way, shape, or form trying to teach your kid sharing. And if you've ever had a two-year-old, you know that you don't have to teach your two-year-old the word mine, all right? Like, they are pre-programmed. Like, they come into the world pre-programmed with that word in their vocabulary. And as adults, uh, well, we still, we, we still share our toys and we, we share our stuff, but we're still learning to share, right? Some more than others. I mean, even as adults, there are there are times where, whether we like to admit it or not, that we still act like two-year-olds, but some of those things are reasonable, right? 
I mean, some of those things, I mean, there, there is a distinct line that you draw in your life. There are certain things that you look at in your life and say, you know what, these are non-negotiables. Like, I'm not going to share these sort of things. Like, who really wants to share their toothbrush, right? You don't do that. I mean, that's just one of those things that you don't share. I, am, I have been guilty over and over again of accidentally grabbing my wife's toothbrush and brushing my teeth on any given morning. And there's just always a weird sort of sick feeling about it. You know, it's like, this is my wife's toothbrush. You know, you just don't share stuff like that. Or what about your deodorant, right? Do you share your deodorant? Like, I had to do that recently. We were on vacation. My wife said, Paul, you re- can, can the boys have some of your deodorant? And I, I, I shared my deodorant, you know, with my, with my kids, and it, it was just, it's just weird. I mean, that, you don't share stuff like that. I mean, you don't share your underwear, right? You just don't do that. You don't share your swimsuit uh, with somebody else. And, and what about chips and salsa? You know, I mean, even if we can agree on the no double dipping sort of rule, I'd really rather have my own bowl, all right? I'd just really have, rather have, we can share the chips, but I'd rather have my own bowl. Or who wants to share a toothpick? I mean, do you just do you share stuff like that? Do you share your nasal spray uh, with other people when you're out in public? Maybe tonight, do you share the remote control, you know, when you're trying to watch the Super Bowl? Well, the sharing the Apostle Paul has in mind here, let's just say it's personal, Or, let me say this, it's more relational is what he's getting at. I mean, it's about our sharing that we do in community. It's about the sharing we do with those people that are closest to us. And in our case, and in your case, it's the people of this community, this family, the people of Genesis Church. You know, I remember uh, visiting Haiti Uh, for the first time just a few years ago. And as many of you know, Nehemiah Vision Ministries is one of our strategic mission partners, and they serve a number of people in a number of villages in Haiti today. But at the time, most of their focus was on a small village uh, called Shambrun. And a few of us were there on this particular trip, and we were walking around uh, Shambrun with the uh, NVM director, Pastor Esperando Pierre. And uh, I remember we were standing in front of this uh, small home in this village, and there were at least uh, 50 or so people on this particular Sunday afternoon that were just crowded into this one particular yard around this family. And Esperando explained to us, uh, pastors as Americans, how just days before this mother and father had lost their little girl uh, to illness. And now all of the people... Uh, All of the people from the village, family, but even those who weren't family, would just come and they would keep coming. It's just, it's their practice. It's their responsibility to come and and to be with each other. And they would do this and they would keep coming and they would just stay uh, for the next days as a way of mourning, as a way of support. And it it was just a beautiful picture and example of the importance of relationships and sharing and community that if one hurt, they all hurt. Uh, If one's celebrating, they're all celebrating. If one is mourning, they all mourn together and they look out for each other and they protect one another. And when someone is in need, all of the people come together in community and they share. And you see, it's one thing to be generous and to be generous from a distance. And generosity matters. And the Apostle Paul commands us to be generous in our sharing and with our gifts and resources. But the type of sharing that Paul is referring to here specifically that we're looking at today uh, has everything to do with a sharing that requires relationships. And it's a sharing that requires time. And it's a sharing that requires proximity. And so Paul explains the secret to being rich is to be rich in good deeds. We're going to talk about that next week. 
to be rich in generosity, we talked about that last week and for today, and it's in your notes if you haven't already filled it in, but to be rich in our sharing. To be people, to be Christians, to be a church that is rich in sharing. Now that word share comes uh, from the New Testament Greek word koinonia. Maybe you've heard it before, and uh, it's one of those words that language experts say has no perfect English equivalent. It means fellowship. Uh, It means community together. It's more closely aligned with the word partnership, where people have shares and a common asset uh, that they own together. And the first time this word appears is in Acts chapter 2, and it's the most incredible picture that I know, where a group of people, people like you and me, were rich in sharing. And Luke Uh, is the writer and the historian here in Acts chapter 2. And he's credited uh, with writing down, with copying down these examples of what life in the early church looked like. And in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, we get this picture of life in the early church. It says all the believers. That means all the believers. Like, this is it. Jesus has only been in heaven for so long, and so the church is just coming together. It says, all the believers, this first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Just see how many times this word koinonia or the word sharing appears in just a few verses. I mean, the people of this first church, the people of this Christ-centered community were ready and willing to share, and they gave, and they gave, and they shared their money, and they shared their resources with each other. They shared with those who were in need, and uh, they shared their homes and, and, and time, and they shared life with each other. And what was their attitude towards sharing their life and their stuff with the people of their church and the people around them? Luke writes, great joy, an intense joy that was in them because of their sharing. See, again, the the type of sharing that Paul encourages us to do here is the sharing that requires relationship. And that kind of sharing takes time and it takes effort by each person. See, sharing is a big deal to God. I mean, it really is. This type of sharing that is being described here. And I'm guessing that most of us would say that we're in favor Like, we like the idea, we like the picture of this type of sharing, but what about the kind of sharing in Acts 2, or as described by Paul? I mean, think about it. How often do you practice this kind of sharing uh, with the people of this church or uh, the people sitting around you, even right now? And again, I'm not simply talking about sharing your truck to help someone move, even though that's important, but how often do you share your life? Uh, How often do you share your time, uh, your home? Uh, and your concern uh, with the family, with the people of this church, and how, how are you doing in your sharing and, and, and connecting with others here at Genesis? I, I'll tell you some other things that are difficult to share. Um, our embarrassments, right? That's a tough one. Um, our, our failures. I mean, who likes to, to share your failures? Who likes to share your shame or 
uh, your brokenness with other people. You know, I mean, be honest with yourself. I mean, it's easier to share your lawnmower than it's to share, you know, stuff like this. It's difficult to share your story. And, and what keeps you and me from sharing more of yourself with others here at Genesis? I mean, I think for some, for many of us, it's the challenge of busyness. I and mean, let's just all agree on it. I mean, we're all busy. I mean, who has time? I mean, who has time to go out of your way to share with others? I mean, we say, you know, I don't have time to, to share my life and to be in community with others at church. You know, I've got enough things going on with work and my kids and, and my family. I mean, for others, I think the challenge is the barrier of individualism. I mean, because we'll think to ourselves, you know what, I'm, I'm fine on my own. Like, like, I have what I need in my life. I don't really need anyone else. And so why would somebody from my church need me? Or, you know, for some, it's the feeling of getting burned. You know, and if you've ever been around a church before, I mean, you might say, you know, I did the whole community sharing thing once before, and I, I got burned, and, and it didn't work out, and I'm certainly not going to take a chance at it again. Yeah, I understand. Like, I get this. I, I, I've thought these things. I've experienced a little of each of these, but I can't get past what God, through the Apostle Paul, commands us to do. I mean, just over and over again in Scripture, we read about the value and the importance of, of community and sharing with others in your church and in this family. I'll just take a couple of examples. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul is writing. He says, hey, if you get any encouragement at all from being united with Christ, skipping over to verse 2, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. He's just describing the Christian community, the body of Christ, a church like this. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, John writes, if we claim to have fellowship with him, if we call him Lord and Savior, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But notice what he says, but if we walk in the light, like if we are pursuing Christ, if we are asking Christ to do even greater things in us as he is in the light, then what do we do? We have fellowship with one another. We have this sharing with each other. It's a part of who we are, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, in the New Testament, uh, Paul's letters especially are full of wisdom where it encourages us to be in sharing and to be in community with one another. So here's the thing. You can't live the Christian life apart from community with other believers. Like, that's it's not an option. I mean, the two go together hand in hand. We are created to be in relationship with one another. And, and that's what makes this 2,000-year-old snapshot from Acts 2, uh, from the church, this first church, so fascinating. Again, Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes as promised. The first church is born. And then one day, the scriptures tell us that the church grew from 120 people to over 3,000. And why? Like, why is this example included for us in Acts I mean, did the Apostle Paul have it in mind when he commanded us to be rich in our sharing? So I think so. I think we're supposed to see this. I think God wants us to see this picture. We're supposed to learn from this because it's an example for us of a church, a community where people share meals and share resources and share their homes and property and possessions and money. And if one gets hurt, they all hurt. And if one celebrates, they all celebrate. And if one mourns, they all mourn and they share together and they do it with great joy. And what resulted from that first church and their practice of community and sharing with each other? Look at the last part of that in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 47. The result of all of this is, Luke records, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
God added to their number those who were being saved. You know, quickly, there are three great outcomes that come from the rich sharing and community that we see here in Acts 2. They're in your notes. The first is that God is glorified. He gets glorified. When this sort of living and acting happens, I mean, God's getting all sorts of credit and honor and praise here in Acts 2 because of what is happening. And among the people as they share together, we also see that they are enjoying each other. Again, they are full of great joy. They're experiencing genuine relationships and community with each other. And finally, they're changing the world. We're here today because of what they did then and their faith and their prayers and their community and their sharing, their change in the world. They're making a difference. You know, I could tell you a bunch of stories of how I've seen this type of sharing and community at work at Genesis over uh, the past years. I'm sure you could tell some stories too. The most uh, recent for me goes back to August. Scott and Jen Kashner and their family had just moved away from Genesis to Arizona for a brand new job, and just weeks after arriving in Arizona, their little girl got sick and died. And uh, it, was, it was horrible. Uh, it was so sad and obviously so painful for them, but also for many of you that know them and love them, and it didn't take long at all. Uh, for this church, for this community to respond and to love them. And it, and it didn't take long for people to come along. And even as the Kashner family was making arrangements to return here uh, for the funeral, I mean, right away, pe- uh, people from Genesis, many of you jumped to action and started offering your home and your cars and your food, and people gave time. And the generosity and the sharing was so great that we had to turn people away. Like, there wasn't enough to do. And it was a beautiful picture of the body of Christ a Christ-centered community at work, and it was a great example of the sharing and the community and generosity that Paul is talking about here in 1 Timothy and what we see in Acts 2. And what happened in Acts? I mean, what resulted from their sharing and love for one another? People noticed. People from the outside looked in. People who, who did not yet know Christ observed and they witnessed the love. And they saw the sharing, and Luke records that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so here's my question. Why can't it happen today? I mean, why can't what happened in Acts 2 be the norm at Genesis Church? To be a church where people do more than gather on Sundays, but also gather and meet regularly as friends and family, and homes, and apartments, and dorm rooms, and it's a church where people know people, and everyone belongs, and you feel a part of the family. You know, it's a place where men can be men, right, and get together and eat stuff that you've killed, right? Like, that's what we're talking about here. That's the type of community that we're after. It's a church where women can be women and meet and eat quiche, right? And I've got nothing against quiche, especially if bacon's involved or ham or anything like that. But it's a church where no one's left out and everyone participates and everyone contributes. And you're growing in your relationship with Christ and with others. And when one hurts, we all hurt. And we share with each other. And no one has to worry about struggling through a difficult financial season alone or a frightening time medically. It's a church where everyone takes the words of the Apostle Paul to heart and we practice being people who are rich in our sharing and God's glorified. And we're just doing our small part in changing the world and the place where God has called us. See, this church in Acts 2, 
They were helping people find their way back to God. And I believe that what God was doing in them, he wants to continue doing through us as we practice living and sharing and community together. And what's that mean for you? What's that mean for you and me? Well, if you've been around Genesis for any time, you know that we can't talk about sharing, we can't talk about community without talking about our connection groups. Uh, There are small groups here at Genesis, and if you're not in a connection group, uh, if you're not in community with others, uh, you're missing out. You're missing out on something. And groups are not the only example of community and sharing, but groups are a great step uh, into the family and into the community, and it's something we value. And so if you're not in a group, uh, my challenge for you is to get in one. And if you're not sure what they're all about, hopefully this will help. Christian life is meant to be lived in community. Here at Genesis, our connection groups are one of the best ways for you to meet others who attend this church and for you to grow in your relationship with God. Relationships are one of the most tangible ways that God shows his love for us. And in fact, in Ephesians 4, we're told that the body of Christ, the people of the church, are designed to build one another up and to support one another. God provides people to pray for us and to serve us to encourage us in difficult times and to celebrate with us in good times. And I love hearing people share about how a connection group here at Genesis has impacted and made a difference in their life. Oh, this group has um, just been wonderful in my life. It's been such an addition. We talk to each other throughout the week. We email each other. We support each other. It is a huge blessing in my life because I just really, really love all the women and the discussions that we have, and I'm kind of addicted to it. My connection group has taught uh, my wife and I so many things about um, relationships, friendships, and uh, we've learned more than I could have ever imagined um, about ourselves. It's a place where we can go and just do life with people and be real with each other. And through that, I really realized how, what community is supposed to be like. Um, And I found genuine friendships and people that have really encouraged me to love Jesus and just follow him. After graduating college, I kind of had a hard time finding my place in the church and finding a core group of friends. Uh, This group has been a good opportunity for me to make friends and to feel that community aspect of the church. God's used it tremendously to bring me back to Him, um, to grow my walk with Him, and um, just to change my perspective on life. It's my family, and it's the highlight of my week. I've come to church, and I've been involved with the host team, but I was lacking in something, and getting involved here with the women's group on Wednesday mornings, um, I feel like I belong somewhere, and I feel like I'm not doing things alone anymore. I'm getting so much wisdom from it, and. I can go home and be a better mom and be a better wife because of it. There's something inside of us that comes alive when we feel that connection with someone else. Even if it is a burden or a sorrow, uh, there is a richness that comes from uh, being connected to other believers. And uh, that richness is what I found in my connection group. If you're not currently attending a connection group, now would be a great time to join one. Starting February 9th, we are beginning an eight-week study called Follow Me. This connection group study will partner with a sermon series as well. 
And we're going to spend eight weeks seeking to answer the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We're going to look at some of the basic principles of the Christian faith. There are several Follow Me groups available. Some meet on campus and some meet in homes. But there are four simple steps that you can take today to join a group. First, visit our connection group page online at genesischurch.me. Second, view our list of groups and select the group that best fits your schedule and location. Third, sign up for the group by simply entering your name and your email. And lastly, your group leader will follow up with you with details and confirm your registration. If you are hungry to grow in your relationship with God and you want to experience more of Genesis Church than just attending on Sunday morning, I want to encourage you, join a connection group by signing up online today. You know, if you were here last week, I I, I challenged you uh, specifically uh, in the Apostle Paul's command to be rich in your generosity and just really ask you, what's that next step for you? Uh, What would be that next uh, simple step that you might be willing to take? And uh, I've got a couple of action steps for you to think about in the process today. The first one is this. Kevin just referred to it, but it's to find a group. Uh, And if you're not in one, to check it out and to check it out as a way so that you can start sharing and living and experiencing community with others. And, uh, and so I hope that you'll do that. I, I want to encourage you to give it a try, uh, to put aside any fears and excuses that you have uh, so that you can be a part of something so much more here at Genesis. And uh, if you give it time uh, and if you give it some effort, I, I promise you that you won't uh, regret it. And so, and, and if you've been on a break, if you took a break from a connection group and maybe for really good reasons, uh, now's the time to get back in because the timing's perfect. And as Kevin mentioned here, we're starting a brand new series in a couple of weeks called Follow Me. And so we're encouraging each of our groups to go through that with us. Uh, And so try it out and check out one of our groups. If you're a guy, um, I lead a men's group here on Wednesday mornings. We meet at 6.30 in the morning and uh, we have a wonderful, awesome time together. And if you're of the opinion that nothing sensible happens before eight o'clock in the morning, uh, we have other groups that meet uh, throughout the week too. There are plenty meeting in different homes and you can check those out. We also have a group that's gonna be starting on Thursday nights. It's gonna meet right here in our Noblesville campus. Um, Our own groups and discipleship pastor, Kevin, and his wife, Paige, are gonna lead this group. Uh, There's childcare involved and so you can check that out. And if you're still stuck after all of that and you can't seem to find the next best step, uh, let us know and we would be happy uh, to help you in that. Now, for the sake of what we're talking about today, it's not just community for grown-ups either. Uh, So if you're uh, in middle school, uh, if you're in high school right now, uh, if you're a parent with student-age kids uh, and your student isn't a part of our student ministry yet, um, I want you to encourage them uh, to take a step and to get involved in community uh, with other students. Uh, here's a great example. 20 of our high school students just returned uh, from a weekend retreat in Michigan, and here's what some of them had to say about their time. Uh, one student said, it, it, it means a lot to me to be able to spend time with other students from Genesis. I, I feel like they are some of the most important people to have in my life during this high school season. Uh, the youth group students that I am with, with, are with together, we are, we are studying God together, and we are getting to know him and each other on a deeper level. Another student said, I gained a lot of confidence uh, from the retreat. I need a lot of encouraging and mental boosting, and God really gave me that at Spring Hill along with the people, the students I was with. I received a deeper bond with the other students. Uh, one more student said, these relationships are important to me because I think they are important for every single one of us 
as we carry on in our relationship with God and others. She says, I see them now on Sundays and on Wednesdays, uh, the beginning and the middle of the week, and, and so we get to encourage each other. Uh, she says, it's also special to have good friends who want to talk about Jesus because you don't always get that at school. Man, think about it. Like how important it is as a student to have that sort of community, to have that support, sort of support in your life, and not just for students, man, but for kids too. And if you've got children, there are great things that are happening in our Gen Kids ministry right now, and it's, it's not too soon for your kid to be developing relationships with other children here in our Gen Kids ministry. Man, I, I can look back and I can point to some of my greatest lifelong friendships that came out of those kids that I spent time with growing up uh, in our church together. And so whoever you are, I want to challenge you to find a group, to get connected to others. Don't just worship with us on Sundays. If that's all you do, you are missing out on so much more. And so be known and get to know others because I believe that God wants to do even greater things through us as we share together, as we become more and more one in community together. Another thing is this, another action step. If you're already in a group, uh, here's something for you to think about. I, I want to challenge you to pick one way and practice being rich in sharing, maybe even this week. I mean, do something in this next week with someone or for someone here at Genesis Church as a way of sharing with others. And maybe it's for someone you know. Uh, maybe it's for someone you sort of know. Maybe it's someone that you've always talked about getting to know. And whatever the case may be, just make it a point. Make it a practice. Step out and share a meal with someone. Invite someone, invite a family, invite two over to your house. Uh, share your stuff. Uh, is there something that you can share with someone else that could benefit someone else? Share your time. You know, sacrifice a bit of your time and invest. Uh, pour into someone else. Share your story. Share some money, you know. Uh, do it anonymously. I mean, there's a really good chance that you know of someone, you know of an individual or a family right now that could benefit from a gift and maybe a gift from you. Let's practice. Let's just make it a practice at being rich and sharing. Find a group. Take a step. Take a bold step and try something new here at Genesis. And finally, and this isn't in your notes, so this is a little bonus, a little add-on, but pray about it. I mean, would you just be praying, you know, for this community and for this church and for these relationships and for this short of sharing, you know, for, for others and for the benefit of our church, but also for your life as well. Because if you don't get it or you're not feeling it, would you be willing to turn to the Lord and ask him to create in you a hunger or a desire for even more in your life? Uh, if you're lonely right now, and even as you hear me describe some of this, you might say to yourself, you know what, I've been craving and desiring these relationships at Genesis and it's just not happening. Maybe would you take it to the Lord? And just ask him, God, would you, would you put in front of me, would you open up some doors and some possibilities for me to enter into relationships with others? Pray and ask God to increase your hunger for more, a greater desire for him, and then do something in faith and try something and take a step. Like, imagine this. Imagine a church where people, you know, in this community, people around us didn't refer to Genesis as a building but about its people, that people would look to this place and they would see Genesis and they would see this church for the people and the God we glorify and the joy that we receive in supporting and sharing with one another and inviting people into this family. And we're changing 
the world, and the community around us along the way. Imagine a church like this. The secret to being rich. The Apostle Paul says, I command you, be rich in your sharing. Let's pray. God, we're here. We are ready and we are available for you to do even more and greater things in us and through us. And I pray that you would give us the faith to take the next steps for those that maybe have some fear or don't seem to feel like they've got the time. Lord, would you give them the faith and the time to take that next step and to find a group? Uh, would, would you allow, Lord, would you work in our groups in such a way that they could be a wonderful example of you and your love as we share and support one another? God, would you, would, would you just make it a practice? Would you make it a habit that we would daily pursue one another as a way of glorifying you and sharing all that we have in the name of Jesus Christ? And God, would you increase our number? Would you increase our number as people look to us, but more importantly to you, to see the hope that we have in Christ for even greater things. We're here. We're available to you. Teach us to be rich in our sharing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.